Konigstein Road in the east to Casitas Gap in the west, and the orange curtain is descended across the Ojai Valley. This is Ojai Talk of the Town. editor of Ojai's Magazines, The Quarterly and Monthly. We are fortunate this episode to talk with Rhiannon Giddens, the Grammy-winning musician and recipient to the prestigious MacArthur Foundation grant. Rhiannon's musical virtuosity spans and defies genres, country, folk, bluegrass, gospel, and now with her featured performances at the Ojai Music Festival coming September 16th through the 19th, classical and contemporary music. She'll be collaborating with music director, the innovative composer, John Adams, and our artistic director, Ara Guzel Millenian. We caught up with Rhiannon in her home in Ireland via phone, and despite the distance, she made us feel more connected to the human experience and how it's shared through music. Hi, Rhiannon. Thanks for joining me. Hi. Hi. Be with you virtually. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, you do me a real kindness, and I've been very excited to talk to you. One, I'm a big fan, and two, it's a big coup for the Ojai Festival to have somebody of your your wide talents and and deep interest in music to help us curate this experience in September. So um, I figure we'll just jump right into it. Now, how, how did it come about that you got signed up for this festival? And what was that process like? And who were those? what were those conversations? Um, it, from what I re- recall, it actually started with, um, with David Visor um, from Nonsuch Records, who I've been working oh, yeah. with for a very long time, um, ever since I came on board. Uh, and he's been a very important um, guiding light or whatever you want to call it um, for me since I since I was with Chocolate Drops he's just been a real important part of my journey as an artist so when when he says you know would you would you consider this festival this Ohio festival it's a really cool festival then I say sure <laughs> <laughs> so there's not much I would I would uh, not I would not do for David. So, um, and then when he, yeah. And then, and then when, you know, obviously the festival itself is just right up my alley, um, in, in sort of the breadth of it and, and all the ability to do some of the different things that I do all in one place, you know, um, you know, it just seems like a no brainer. Uh, yeah. Well, do. it's a really great audience because they're expecting, the unexpected and they're very patient and they understand that what we perform today, what we hear today may not sound familiar or even easy to listen to, but 
We don't know what the verdict of history is going to be in 200 years. This could be the new canon. And that's that's exciting. Yeah. yeah. Well, we yeah, were, I think it's... I, yeah, sorry. No, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I think that's one of the most important things that, you know, the the world that classical music uh, intersects, all the worlds that, that it intersects with, you know, um, I think that's one of the most important things for us to remember is, is you know, there are so many different periods of time where if you stepped into it, <laughs> the stuff that we, that we play from that time period was just one of many, many things, you know, um, many, many of whom we'll, we'll never hear, you know, so it's, it, you never know which, which are the ones that, that last and which are the yeah. ones that should last <laughs> and don't and the, which, you know, that Absolutely. Can, have to be excavated and all that stuff. You know? And, and what, and why it sticks around. We, it's the, you know, the verdicts of history are very uncertain, but it's fascinating, <laughs> just fascinating. Now, what, did you have any notion about the Ohio Music Festival before your conversation with David, or was it just uh, just vague inklings or anything? I didn't know. No, I didn't know anything about it. Um, so I, I was definitely learning um, learning about it. But you know, like I said, as soon as I as soon as he told me about it, and I started reading up on it. I was like, oh, this sounds cool. <laughs> it was kind of yeah. an immediate, like, oh yeah, of course. Yeah, so now that you're uh, stepping into the family, do you have a different attitude or a different uh, sense of the possibilities of the festival? What, what's your take? I mean, I, I would like to go, and I'll tell you what I, how I feel about it. I mean, it, 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 it seems like a really cool festival. I mean, I think um, I, love, I love festivals that have different things kind of all around um, in the same uh, in the same sort of atmosphere you know something like also you know Big Ears does that you know yeah. in, in Knoxville and I just I really think I, w- I would I wish there were more festivals like that you know um, but I'm just glad that there are the ones that there are and, and I'm glad to you know to know now about this one and I will be knowing you know, I'll be knowing it on the ground. You know, God, yeah, God willing. Very exciting. <laughs> Everything that was gay, but um, that's the exciting thing. You know, we can talk about it all day long, but um, being actually being there and and sort of just breathing the vibe and and just experiencing it, and that's what I'm excited about. Yeah. So, what's going on behind the scenes with your uh, collaborations? With have you had conversations with John Adams and? Maybe uh, our Guzlimian. I have not. I am. I am kind of a little bit doing what's in front of me at the moment. <laughs> so, yeah, those, those conversations have not been had, but they are definitely. Um, I that's a, a focus that I will be turning to fairly soon, um, because you know there's new material for me and sort of uh, back to my roots in a way um, with you know reading from sheet music <laughs> yeah. and singing singing in a, in a different way than I, I usually sing these days so um, yeah I'm excited about that though because uh, I, I I'm always happy to be able to explore um, things like this 
because I don't get an opportunity to do it. So that, that that's what attracted me. Uh, uh, you know, that's what really kind of sent the deal for me um, was the ability to do these different things, you know, all in the same festival. And, it, and I knew that I would be learning new things and sort of pushing and stretching. It always stretches me a little bit to, to go back into this world. So it's really yeah. good. Well, you're in good hands. Um, as you know, John Adams is a luminary. Uh, Ara has been involved with the festival for over 50 years, I think. And it's like a well-oiled machine. You're, you're, you're going you're gonna to find that uh, you're going to be well, uh, well curated and well handled and well you know, directed and the opportunities that you're going to have here. It's, it's just a, it's a professional crew, wonderful people. I mean, Gina and Anna Wagner at the office, they're just so on top of everything. So you're going to, you're going to have fun. So, um, that sounds, yeah, that sounds amazing, especially, I mean, it sounds amazing anyway, but especially after a year and a half of being my own, everything, <laughs> I'm, I'm quite ready to relinquish uh, all engineering and <laughs> all the uh, acoustical oh, engineering and the of, yes, winding uh, cables and who, or just all of it just to, you know relinquishing that to the people who actually know what they're doing um, and yeah. so that we can all work together and, uh, yeah that's been rough uh, on this pandemic so I'm excited to get back to being a part of a team yeah you know? I mean really let's talk about that for a second now you were work were you working on your latest record or did that uh, mostly get produced before the pandemic, or what? What was this? That's that situation. Well, the the record, yeah, the record I just put out with Francesca Cerisi, uh They're calling me home. I mean, that that's a pandemic record. We did it in um, in a week in uh, October, I think, or November. I can't remember. And just kind of found a, a week in between lockdowns and managed to squeeze this out. Um, so that was, uh, a, a blessing really. Yeah. Now your uh, partner, Francesco, he's a, I'm not, I'll probably get this wrong and I hope it doesn't come off insulting, but he's like a hybridist, right? Isn't he, he takes uh, this or an alchemist is a way that I've heard him described that he'll take all these different influences and come up with a third thing that's, you know, uh, grounded and expands upon. Yeah, he's very similar to me in a lot of ways, um, just kind of on the other side of the pond, you know. And when he was in conservatory, he was studying jazz and also Renaissance <laughs> music, wow. you know. So he's kind of one of those guys. And now, he's, since then, has learned all of this, you know, percussion percussion techniques from like the Mediterranean and various lute-type instruments. And yeah, he's just one of those guys who can... Pick up who, anything who take, and make you know, beautiful noise. Yeah, and he kind of combines it into in himself. You know, he 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 gets deep into whatever he's doing enough to to learn how he can produce something from that, and then he just folds it into his into his uh, the way he makes music. Yeah, which is very much like how I perceive your your work. I love that story in the New Yorker about you. I think it was a couple of years ago. I just wish I had, I mean, I, I mean, I, my week isn't complete until I get through a New Yorker, usually on a Saturday morning. And I just fascinated by all the things I would never have 
imagine myself being fascinated with, but I've been a fan of yours since before that, so I read that particularly with great interest. And it's just, um, you know, the, the, the re-remembering of what came before. So I'll just give you a little anecdote, just because I'm not a musician, but I love music. But when I was in like fifth grade, Mr. Webb, our music teacher, got us out our little uh, ukuleles and we played a Jacques Brel song. And, you know, it sounded terrible, but our parents loved it. You know, uh, they thought it was great. That's all that mattered. But years later, when I was deep in my David Bowie phase, I go, oh my God, what am I hearing? This sounds so familiar. And sure enough, that was, you know, part of his his uh, origin of compositions. His his coming up was, you know, and then somewhere later, I <clears throat> read an interview where he said, you know, had I not gone into pop music, I would have been a troubadour or a Jock Sproul type or something to that effect. And I thought, yeah, mm. that's, that's what it's all about. That's, I mean, that's really it. We just, we get so divisive in our labels and uh, our expectations. And really the point is to say what you want to say the way that you want to say it. That's it. <laughs> yeah. And all these, all, all these languages that we have available to us, <clears throat> there's expressions and forms out there that make that message even more beautiful and more poignant and more... Uh, you know, understandable, and it's really, um, music brings people together in a way I don't think any other art form does. I really do. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree with you. Yeah. 100%. And the OI Music Festivals, that's part of their tradition, and like, uh, goodness, Tom Morris was the music director for many years, or artistic director, <clears throat> and he would bring some of these weird programs that maybe nobody would heard in like 50 or 60 years. There was this Carl Orff opera, or opera buffa. I can't remember the name of it now, but it was great. The staging was beautiful with the costumes and everything, and it was really, really funny. And then you realize, wait, this came out in 1940 in Germany under the eyes of the you know Nazi uh, censors, and it was very anti-establishment and making fun of the police and you know, the hierarchy and the establishment. It was like the idea that they could make this art, this comic art, uh, so beautifully staged under the eyes of the Nazis was like a really powerful statement. I wasn't expecting to get that message from this. It was just entertainment, but it was it was more than entertainment. Well, I think the, the best art like walks that line, you know, of... of um profundity, I suppose, uh, and uh, deep connection to humanity and, you know, all the while it has to keep people engaged, you know, on a, on a, on a several different levels, you know. Yeah, and to connect to their experience. And it's, uh, it's so, I can't even uh, imagine how music is able to connect with our emotions the way that it does because it's kind of a mathematical form you know you think a440 and everything gets gets worked out from there and these you know nearly perfect mathematical relationships and yet the emotional weight of music is is profound i'm just like i don't know i'm just rambling but i think you know what i'm talking <laughs> about well i mean you know we share we share a large part of 
what we do with the animal kingdom, but music we don't. You know, animals don't make music, and I think that's an interesting, interesting thing. Yeah. They use tools. They, you know, they form social units. They can build things. They can, you know, they can do all sorts of things. But, but they don't. They don't have music, uh, and. That's, yeah. that's, a, that's a thing to ponder, I think. <laughs> yeah, it really is. Yeah, and, you know, the um, keeping these forms, these past forms of music alive, I know I'm a big Percy Granger fan because he's, you know, so he covers a lot of ground. He's just a very interesting, you know, very eccentric character. But he used to make recordings of uh, East Anglian sea shanty songs, many of which, you know, like got us through the pandemic. I don't know if you've seen a lot of those TikToks of people doing the sea shanties where they'll came, come in and they have like dozens and dozens of people harmonizing on these. They're crazy. Uh, super fun. I, you know, I heard, about, I heard about that and I never actually dipped into it, but I just, I, I was, I thought that was pretty cool that yeah. uh, that became a, that became a thing, you know. I was like, yeah, all right, it's still out cool. there. There's some <laughs> of those are just amazing. They're just really beautiful. But you know, a lot of that we wouldn't even know if it wasn't for Percy Granger, who was a very formalist composer in his own right. But they did a performance at the festival where they had this opera singer who had performed like the Friday night concert. This Saturday, Saturdays generally the concerts are kind of like a little more loose and fun and kind of open and and great i think you're gonna love it and i hope that you get to actually sit in the audience for some of this i'm looking at the program you're quite busy you're going to be quite a busy lady throughout this uh weekend but um you know that that uh bass or yeah it was a bass even like a basso profundo doing the sea shanty with all the strings and everything behind them it was it was moving and funny at the same time it was like the perfect blend and you know you don't see programming like that where they bring this you know the modern contemporary music together with some of these old folk forms in a way that's just so really really entertaining love it yeah that sounds fantastic yeah so let's talk a little bit about that new yorker article because there was a section about the Wilmington, North Carolina riots, which, if people don't know, that's like the only coup in American history where they replaced the legitimately elected government with a white supremacist mob, mob rule. And hundreds of yeah. people were killed. Yeah. And <clears throat> it was just one of those tragic blots. And I know we've gone through some reckoning with the hundred years of of uh you know the tulsa riots which were another terrible blot on on our culture but uh wilmington especially struck me because you know there was this the writer had this beautiful statement about it being violently unremembered and i think yeah. i think we need to re-remember i hope that's going on i mean it you know as much as we can with, you know, now there's pushback against even telling the actual truth of the history. <laughs> they don't, they just don't want to know. Um, yeah. But it's, it's, uh, yeah, you just, just keep telling the stories, you know. Um, the, the threat of black um, economic 
prosperity was just too much, you know? It's just too much for uh, a certain segment of white America. It was too threatening. Um, and it's just, it, it's shown time and time and again, you know, whenever there's prosperity, it is, it is destroyed by any, whatever means necessary. Um, and I just think that the more that we can understand this, the more that we can understand the particular place that, you know, African-American history has within, I mean, that American history is African-American history. You know, I just, uh, we can't tell the story of America without telling it all the pieces. And so a piece like this is really important because people just need to understand it was blatant. It was just blatant people. Anybody who was surprised by what happened at the Capitol, it hasn't read enough history. They have not you been know. paying attention. Yeah. It's not that, yeah, they've not been paying attention. And I'm just kind of, I don't know, tired of, of people being shocked. <laughs> but anyway, people are, they're, they're waking up when they wake up. And, and the nice thing is that people are really wanting to know more. And I've been asked a lot about Wilmington um, and what happened in 1888. I mean, you know, it's such a, it's such an important example because a lot of, black excellence and really important cultural things came out of Wilmington. Um, and this was a hub of, of black culture, which then went on to influence American culture, which, you know, that's the way it works. But it was, you know, destroyed overnight. You know, it became a, a, a white majority town overnight. And that, that's no small feat. And they were very blatant about it. They were just like, we ran out all the N-words. I mean, like, and we'll run out more and we'll kill them all. You know, it was just, it, it was very, very blatant. And I just think it's important for people to understand how blatant it's been for so long. Um, and then maybe they'll stop being surprised and then maybe we'll get somewhere. <laughs> yeah. Like some, like a truth and reconciliation moment. Yeah. I mean, yeah, we got to have the truth first. Um, and that's a big, that's a tall order. Reconciliation, that's an even taller order. <laughs> so no, <laughs> I'm not yeah. terribly optimistic, but, um, <laughs> you know, I still do what I can. To, yeah, to well, you do a lot. I mean, I feel like, and maybe I'm understating, but America seems to be a place where all these Scotch-Irish folk music and African American music came together in this this salad bowl that got stirred around, and all these different forms came out of it, including jazz, which is you know recognized as like the only truly original American art form, at least you know European intelligentsia, but um, country music as well, and uh, the African influences in country music, people don't get that i was just no here i go again on another tangent but you were talking about uh the aria code and you made this beautiful analogy between rake's progress which we talked about being performed here a couple years ago so beautifully and june and johnny cash and i would have never made that connection between stravinsky and and johnny cash but um you know that the Carter family is is I'm fascinated by them because they were self-taught and they just the ambient music of their of the Appalachia and 
you know, the way that, uh, particularly like Mother Maybell played the guitar, which she seemed like she was playing the, um, the melody lines with the bass strings and the rhythm with the treble strings. And it was like a really fun yeah. song, that Carter Scratch or whatever they call it. Yeah, well, it wasn't self-taught. I mean, everybody's a mixture of influences around them, and a large influence on the Carters was Leslie Riddle. Who was the yes, that's black, exactly it. You know, so it's not just that he went around with A.P. Carter and wrote down the, the songs, although he did, and it's not just that he, you know, knew, some, you know, some, some of the black side of who would go to and collect songs, although he did. It's not that he, you know, um, was able to, uh, allowed them to record these songs since he wrote them down because he did but he also imparted some of the way he played the guitar you know and his musicality and I think it's one of the great tragedies um, that the Carter family is seen as like literally the whitest of the white you know and that style is seen it's like held up as like white Appalachia and all of the, the black you know, threads and influence that run through that has been completely forgotten. I mean, obviously people are starting to talk about this more now. Yeah, like right now. And it's right not now. like the Carters, you know, but it's been, how long has it been and whose name is on those songs? Yeah, you know what 90 I mean? years. It's like Ralph Peer, it's like Ralph Peer, right? And, you know, somebody like had no, nothing to do with even like catching the songs. So it's frustrating to me. That really, that really frustrates me a lot because, you know, th there's so many places within country music where these invisible, yet hugely important, like you wouldn't have the Carter sound without Leslie Riddle. That's just, it would sound different. And yeah. I'm sure it would still be great, but it's just kind of like, it's called the Carter Scratch. Well, okay. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it, that's, it's how, how we get erased. It, it never, never fails to astound me i mean I, I should stop being shocked myself i suppose but i, I keep stumbling over these things going wow well that's being, a pattern yeah you know? bringing it up and having those discussions i think that's the only way we can build awareness i mean absolutely just, yeah yeah and speaking of which the carolina chocolate drops was that uh, now some of those string bands became you know, the African-American string bands uh, before and after the Civil War, that was like the biggest thing going. That was like the popular music scene. How did you uh, get, I know a little bit, but I'd rather hear it from you of how that became part of your your um, your purpose. Well, I mean, I got into string band music from dancing. You know, I learned how I started contra dancing, which is like a folk dance similar to square dance and I oh, started yeah, square I dancing as well. Okay, yeah. I mean not not everybody does, so um I I was a big Jane Austen fan and I thought it was a, a, it was I thought it was a night of English country dance, but it was contra dance, but then by the time I realized it was something different I was hooked, you know. Yeah. And I, I became sort of a, a big fan and when I went back home to North Carolina there was a lot of old-time music being played at these concert dances um, because the local booker was a big old-time nut. Oh. And I started hearing, like, banjo and fiddle and kind of going, wow. And then I discovered the whole, like, African connection to the banjo and Joe Thompson, who was the black fiddler that, who was, you know, that living link to Frank Johnson that, you know, who was the famous, one of the most yeah. famous black string, string well, players and ran 
and so I got into it um, that way and then just learned how huge the black string band was, you know, how integral to American social culture that they were, how much of the fabric of, uh, of entertainment they were, you know, and how little they were remembered, you know, again, and that was enormous that has been completely almost entirely erased. And that just, that gets tiring. Yeah. The cultural, <laughs> cultural amnesia. Yeah. Yeah. It's not just amnesia though. It is erasure. Then that's important. That's something that the more that I did research, the more I realized this isn't just you're like, Oh yeah. Well, you know, the black people moved up to New York and Chicago. Let's talk about why they did that because they're being, you know, Lynched. burned and killed and you pinched know, and, you know, let's strange fruit. That but yeah, but people like to be like, oh, they, you know, they went to the north and then they just started doing jazz and blues. And it's just like that's not how it worked at all. You know, yeah. not only were tons of black people still in the south and still are. I mean, my family didn't leave. You know, um, yeah. also the idea of what this music was and how it was taught and it, you know, it was done. Um, yeah in a way to feed a certain narrative that was not conducive to that kind of truth. Yeah, well, I, it's interesting you bring that up. I just had Julie Tumamite, who's a Shumash elder on the podcast, and we're friends. I've known her for like 20 plus years. But she was just looking at a museum book. I won't say which one, but they were talking about the mission in uh, Ventura, the um, one that Junipero Serra built in 1776 or whatever, and how the Chumash people and the uh, the Spanish came together to build this aqueduct to uh, get the water from the Ventura River to the mission and all this great cooperation. And she's like, "What? <laughs> yeah, this? Are you kidding me? In in 2020 or whatever, they still have these texts out there where they talk about this, you know, this cooperative venture of spirit. Now those." Those Indians were not cooperating. They had no other choice. That that was bondage. Yeah, she was. Yeah, it's, I mean, <laughs> yeah, that's that's that language. The language, language is powerful. You know, yeah. got to win. You got to win the war of words. Unfortunately, because otherwise, yeah, I don't know. It's you lose a generation. Yeah, well, you see it going terrible. on with uh, January 6th riots. We're already reframing that as as uh, yeah. patriots, uh, you know, holding their government accountable. And, you know, <laughs> yeah, right, right, yeah. You see how, how that yeah. works. It's going on right today all around us. It's not like this is some dark blot on our past. This is a dark blot on our present. Yeah. yeah. No, they're very good at it, though. They're very good at it. You know, they've been honing that. They've been honing that stuff since Reagan. But anyway, let's not or even even before you go back to like the John Birch Society. Oh, yeah. oh my goodness! So um, let's yeah. talk about your genius, your MacArthur Grant, the so-called genius grant. I know you probably hate me saying that, but but uh, you're stuck with it. That's the that's the lexicon. You talk about how words get out there, but that must have been a very powerful validation that you were onto something. And what did that, it, what did yeah. that mean to you? It, it was, it definitely was. Um, you know, it was at a time where I was kind of like, oh my God, what am I doing? <laughs> yeah. uh, like, I'm like, you know, recording 
slave songs on a commercial pop record. I mean, is this going to work? I don't know. Um, and in a genre that's not really keen on this, you know, it's not like I was doing Kendrick Lamar, you know, it's yeah. like, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I got, a, I had a lot of support and stuff, but I was just feeling the, the, the drain of trying to keep a band out and do all this stuff and like do all the appearances, but like have this mission of what I was doing. And yeah. Like is anybody listening and yeah. yeah, kind of, you know? And so I got that phone call and it, that was, I mean, the money of course is amazing. Um, but, uh, really the thing that hit me the most was just the validation to, to know that people were listening and, and watching what I was doing. And, and this is like a huge deal of approval, you know, it's just cause I try to help, you know, it's just kind of like I use my career basically to do this mission and to help other people. And, you know, it's the music industry is not really geared for that. It's not really built for that kind of thing. So when this came along, it really allowed me to do it in ways that I've been wanting to and to not have to stress so much, you know, um, about things and, and to take take projects that were more you know, less a, like I never take things for the money anyway, but like they were things that I wouldn't have been able to afford to do, you know, yeah. they take time, like the opera, you know, um, yeah. definitely is something that, uh, became possible, you know? Well, your, your latest record, I listened to that with great interest and I mean, it's, you could not pin that down into any easy sort uh, it's well. If you were to describe the common thread in there, I'm imagining it would be something about um, keeping, uh, you know, interpreting. But I don't know. Tell tell me what what does you and uh, Francesco's latest album? What what is the common thread? I mean, I'd have to say that the common thread there is. I mean, it's just a reaction to the pandemic, really, you know, the, there's kind of twin threads of, of death and home sickness and, you know, and home having multiple, multiple, you know, definitions, there's yeah. the eternal home and there's, there's the birth home and then there's, you know, the home that you made right now and there's the home that you miss. And I mean, it's, it's just a lot of layers on that theme, you know? Yeah. Well, there's some really beautiful songs on there. A Pritchard's Option, I mean, that stopped me in my tracks. I, I was like, it was... Oh, that's like, from an earlier, that's oh, from an earlier that is, record. Oh, I but. saw it on the program, um, so everybody's going to get to hear that. That's going to be fun. Or fun, that's going to be that's, important. I um, think uh, that's... Yeah, I, don't, I can't what version it is, but yeah, that's from Freedom Highway. That is... You know, that's one of my, that's, that's one of my songs, you know, um, the latest record is mostly, is mostly interpretations of traditional material, but, um, yeah, the purchase option from Freedom Highway and it's an original based on the advertisement. Yeah. And this is a nine month old child that will go with the sale at the purchaser's option. I mean, how dehumanizing is that? Oh, extremely. I mean, that's the point. That's that. That is what struck me about it, and that's why I wrote the song. It's just like this is how. And I, again, it takes me. You know, it takes us back to when we're talking about 
the coup. It's yeah. like it was just matter of fact part of life. And when you have something that's that deeply rooted matter of factly into the psyche and the and the fabric of a nation, how do you how do you get past that without actually ripping up everything to get it out? I mean that's exactly what we're having to do. Like how do you just kind of go, oh, just get over it <laughs> when it was that, you know, our economic engine is inextricably tied up into, you know, slave wealth, you know, and, and yeah. many places today are built on that. So, I mean, how do you, un- you can't unravel all of that without shaking the foundation. Like, you just can't. So, either we, yeah. either we do it properly or we keep having these Festering, festering sores. Yeah, it's gonna, it's gonna come out one way or another. It's gonna come out. I just didn't understand how fragile our democracy was. It made me called, caught me up short. To like, wow, this is the social contract is so tenuous. Yeah. Yeah. Um. I'm just thinking about alchemy because I saw that uh, Francesco especially was deemed an alchemist. And I love that whole metaphor of taking different ingredients to make something bigger and better or, you know, the transubstantiation of emotions particularly that goes on with music. And, uh, you know, you know, like uh, the origin story of uh, Good Vibrations. Have you ever heard that? You know, the Brian okay. Wilson song? How When he was... yeah. He was like five or six years old, and his uh, parents took him to uh, another couple's house for dinner. And they had a theremin, and they played it, and it frightened him so bad that he started having nightmares, which continued on and on and on, until, you know, he, somebody had a, it wasn't a Moog synthesizer, but it wasn't a theremin, it was somewhere in between, and the sound was like, oh no, it triggered him. So he took that and made a happy sound from it. And that's, hmm, wow. and that's, that's good vibrations. So that's the kind of thing. That's what music is. That's what music can be. That's what I feel like you're on to. And that's what um, we're so excited that you're coming here to Ojai. Yay. I mean, it's like overdue, right? Yeah. <laughs> we're all kind of like so much, so much uh, time just, you know, wanting to be together again, making music and making things happen. And, so I, I anticipate the first few months. I mean, people have already been out, you know, of things yeah. happening. I just hope I just hope that Francesco can come. Because, <laughs> you know, like the Europeans aren't allowed into the States at the moment. So, Ooh. well, they've got him listed on the program. I sure hope that he is able to get get him get over here. I mean, the, the U.S. government doesn't care about no program. So, yeah, uh, we hope that we hope that uh, we can get his and get his visa done but um yeah it's real it's a very scary time because you know it's not back to normal We're it not is not no it's, you know and i think it's a little weird to feel like some some things and industries and people are kind of feels like they're pretending like it's normal but it's not you know and i've never i've never had a tour where i wasn't 100 percent positive that i could bring my partner to it <laughs> you know i've never been in that situation before this is is unprecedented uh, at least in our lifetimes very yeah for sure interesting but there's so much uh pent-up enthusiasm i think you're going to feel that from the audience the connection with the audience is going to be 
really phenomenal. I just I just know it. It's going to be people are just so happy to be able to get back together and hear music and share that communal space. It's really yeah, powerful. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I'm certainly looking forward to it. Yeah. For sure. Well, I'm going to let you go. Um, you've been very generous with your time. I'd love to talk uh, longer and longer. And I'll make sure that the, during the festival, uh, if I see you around, I'll introduce myself so you can clap eyes on me because I'm a big fan. And I'm. you're going to be on the cover of the current issue of the magazine, so I'll make sure I get one signed. I've got some signed okay. like Sergio Aragones and Malcolm McDowell and other people who live here in Ohio. It'll be a treat. Oh my for God, me. you're breaking up so much. Oh, is that better? Let me move my phone. How's that? Is that better? Okay, you're back. Okay, so I'll let you go. But I just want to tell you that your um, your voice is just such a perfect instrument. It's just really incredible. I mean, I I can't even describe to you how amazing the music sounds it's just that you make you have this wonderful gift and you're out there sharing it with the world and i just want to tell you thank you on behalf of myself and everyone else but uh i hope that every every yeah yeah thanks for saying that (laughs) yeah you should you should know that you should take a moment every now and then and feel good about that because it's a rare gift it's very rare uh, I definitely feel grateful that I'm in a position to get to make the music that I do with the people that I make it with and to, you know, have some small, some small uh, butterfly wing effect on, on what's going on in a positive way, I hope. So yeah. that's all I can ask for. Well, you have in my life anyway, that's one person. So we'll go to work on all the rest. <laughs> that's wonderful. All right, Rhiannon, thank you so much. I look forward to absolutely it's lovely. September. It's lovely to talk to you, and yeah, and I look forward to yeah, I look forward to you coming up and saying who you are. So I put a face to your voice. That'll be All great. Right. All right, thank you so much, Rhiannon. All right. All right, take care. Just thinking out loud. As a big fan of Rhiannon's music and her acting as well, we didn't talk about her star turn on the drama series Nashville or her friendship with T-Bone Burnett, or much about her amazing discography. And yet, I felt bad going so long over the 30 minutes she had generously agreed to share from her busy schedule. I felt like we could have gone on for many hours. But we'll have an opportunity to go deeper into this fascinating woman's story in the fall issue of the Ojai Quarterly, coming out Labor Day weekend. Check out the cover story on Rhiannon and the Ojai Music Festival. In any event, that's it for this episode of Ohio Talk of the Town. We'll keep an ear out for you.